if you're of a certain age, you know, I think most of us in this room have been a part of a, a job interview or two or ten, right? I mean, this is one of those things you go through. Some of you kids that are a little younger, you're going to get there. You're going to get to a point where you'll be looking for a job, and you're going to go through the job interview. And the purpose of the job interview is really to find out if someone is qualified for the job. Now, I, like I'm sure some of you, have been on both ends of, of this equation. Uh, and sometimes what, what qualifies somebody for a job is, is maybe a little bit different. I was just talking about this uh, with somebody because of something different, but it, it came up recently. I was reminded of this time when I had a friend who was working for Microsoft. This is obviously when we were living in Seattle still. And he said, they're looking for somebody else. You should come join our team. And I, I told him I wasn't sure I knew what he said. No, it's okay. It's okay. I didn't know what they needed me to do either. They'll teach you. It's great. Come and, come and uh, interview. So I did. I signed up. I applied. Uh, I went and interviewed at Microsoft. And I was uh, dressed in, I think, a full suit. I at least had a shirt and a tie on. I think I had a suit on. You know, I was still operating in this, this mode that even if this isn't the way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to work, you know, I'm here for an interview, right? I'm going to dress, look in the part. And the guy who was to interview me came down the stairs. I was sitting in the lobby waiting for him. And he came down the stairs dressed in flip-flops, great big baggy uh, jean shorts, and then a Detroit Red Wings hockey jersey. And he took one look at me and said, please don't ever dress that way here again. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. And we had an interview, and, and he explained that they were sort of looking for um, not necessarily someone who knew exactly what needed to be done, but someone who had an aptitude and, and a, a sort of character that, that could be brought along. Years later, I was on the other side of that table frequently when I worked for a company and I was often hiring people. And the same was often true then. Uh, it was a medical supply company. Uh, the computer system that we used to do all of our business, everything that happened, was a, a, a proprietary piece of software that had been custom written for our company that ran on an IBM AS400 system. Nobody walked in the door that knew how to use it. That wasn't really the point. It didn't matter. I was going to have to teach whoever how to use it. But I was often looking for some personality traits, right? Someone who could work well with the rest of my team, someone who could work well with a team and, and help each other out. You know, there were, you understand, there were, there were some aptitudes that weren't necessarily specific skills, but they were kind of more about character traits that was going to qualify someone for this job. Many of you have perhaps been in a similar situation, yeah? Maybe on either side of that table, either side of that desk, as you've uh, either been looking for a job or you've been looking for someone who can fulfill a job. I want you to keep that in mind as you turn in your Bibles today back to Exodus. We are studying Joshua. And so if you're here with us for the first time, you might be thinking if you're studying Joshua, why aren't you in the book of Joshua? Well, there are some things that we can learn about Joshua and his background uh, earlier than the book of Joshua before he really becomes the leader of the people of Israel. And I spoiled that surprise for you last week. Just so you know, he is going to become the leader of the people of Israel. 
But before we get to that point, we see some glimpses of who Joshua is. Now, they really are just glimpses. We don't have a whole lot of background. We looked last week at this fact, the first mention of Joshua, it tells us nothing about him other than Moses said, hey, Joshua, round up some guys. I mean, he's just, he bursts onto the scene. Suddenly there's this guy named Joshua. But we saw last week that God is preparing him, pushing him, moving him to the place where God needs him to be. Last week, what we looked at was really far more about God than it was about Joshua. And I think that's instructive. This week, what we're going to see is something real interesting. So turn to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. The scene here is Mount Sinai. Now what we looked at last week, uh, the Israelites had been delivered out of Egypt. There's a whole series of, of miraculous plagues and signs and things that happened. They finally get delivered out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They've come to this point. They fought the Amalekites on the way. We looked at that last week. But here they are now at Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where they stop and they camp for a good period of time. And God is going to give them the law. You know, we talk about the Mosaic law. This is where they get it. So here they are. And in Exodus chapter 24, verse 1, God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. And then I'm going to skip ahead to verse 9. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of the stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. And Moses went up to the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> talked about this before. Can't you just imagine this scene? Or maybe you have a hard time imagining it. I mean, it, it's hard. It, the, the power evidence, this, this vision of God is so magnificent. You know, it's, it's difficult maybe to imagine. I've said before that when we all get to heaven, I hope there are extended version DVDs, you know, that we can put in and 
And see this. Wouldn't you love to see this? Especially maybe uh, not being there because frankly, it's a little fearful. I, I don't know if you get that tone or that sense from this, but we should. It was kind of frightening too. And here they are. But you catch that in the midst of that passage that Moses, along with his aide, Joshua. Joshua now seems to have taken another step in his trajectory toward becoming the leader of the nation of Israel. Now we see that Joshua is the aide of Moses. It's interesting, isn't it? And again, we don't get much backstory. We don't see anything about an interview process. We're not told if God said to Moses, Moses, Joshua should be your aide. Or if Moses did this. But I think this says something already about Joshua, about his character. Now, I want to be careful here. I have said to you before, I try, we should all try to be real careful going beyond what Scripture clearly tells us. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, thank you. I think especially, you know, we, we can be guilty maybe of taking our sensibilities from the United States of America in the year 2022 and sort of laying them on top of a text that, that was, you know, from a culture in the Middle East literally 3,500 some years ago, you know. You know, we need to be careful with that. However, I, I think we can make some connections here, and I think we can, we can surmise a couple of things. And part of the reason I think that is because of this passage, it's a little earlier in this book, I want to take you back a few pages to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. This is really fascinating story here. Starting in verse 1 again of this chapter. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the, uh, the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. It's this interesting account of Jethro coming to visit. He had heard about what had gone on, and so here he is with the family, came to see Moses, a sweet story. And in the subsequent verses there, uh, we're told that Moses has an opportunity to share with Jethro everything that God had been doing. All these wonderful things that had happened. You know, again, the signs that had happened in Egypt. Those plagues, many of which, you know, affected the Egyptians. But the, I, the one that, that gets me the most is the darkness, you know. Where darkness fell on the land of Egypt, but there was sort of like this wall you know again what does this look like to be close to the edge of the darkness over in Egypt but it's still light where the Israelites were living you know all of these things the crossing of the Red Sea 
And he explains all this to Jethro, and Jethro says, boy, this is good. This is really good. It seems like it's a, a great visit. But then, verse 13, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. You notice, stop here for a minute. You notice in that, that passage we read a little bit later on, when Moses makes a point of saying, these guys, I'm going to go up to the mountain. If there's something to be heard, in a, a dispute or something, bring it to them, to Aaron and her. Remember that? Well, this is why, because now Moses is doing it. Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, well, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. <laughs> Stop there. It seems like a strange thing to say. It seems like what Moses is doing is good, right? Doesn't this seem like a noble endeavor? And even necessary? And so Moses may have been surprised to hear Jethro say, this isn't good. But then Jethro continues, verse 18. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. You see what he's saying, of course. Moses, this isn't sustainable. You're going to kill yourself. I mean, he may have been present when Moses dragged himself home from you know, work that day, right? falling on his on his bed Oof, what a day you know and jethro says moses this isn't right this isn't good you can't keep this up verse 19 now obey my voice i will give you advice and god be with you you shall represent the people before god and bring their cases to god and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times." Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden for you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. He did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel, and he made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. That's good advice, isn't it? Isn't that great? 
And, you know, it seems obvious, but some of us in the room are maybe of this ilk, you know, where you just try to take on everything. Any of you like that? Maybe? Maybe you even got this sense that if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. This is good advice. Jethro says, Moses, you can't keep this up. And, and I don't know if you sort of get the, the implication there, but part of what's going on is not only is this going to kill Moses, but it's going to kill the people. Do you understand? Right away, Jethro says, Moses, this isn't good for you or for the people. And that this is going to help the people, they can go home in peace. Why? Well, probably because since Moses is the only person doing it, can you imagine what the end of the day looks like? There's still a line of people. And Moses has got to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't hear you today. Maybe come back tomorrow? And so now people are upset. You know, they're, they're not at peace, as Jethro says, you know. It's not good for anyone. And so Jethro says, Moses, come on. You need, to, you need to work on delegating some authority. And Moses does it. It's good advice, right? Part of what I love about this, you know, this is written ostensibly by Moses, we believe, that these things were recorded. But as Moses sort of compiling this history, and again, it's something a little different than just a history, you know, evidence uh, or exhibit A is the fact that we get Joshua just kind of bursting onto the scene without any sort of background whatsoever. You know, it's not simply a, a textbook of history. Nonetheless, what Moses is laying down is God's hand and God working with the nation of Israel. This whole account. But then here comes Jethro, who's not Jewish. He's a Midianite. He's kind of an outsider. And I think if this was all just sort of a, a, a fluff piece, a propaganda piece, Moses would have no reason to put this in there. I mean, that he got advice from someone outside the people of Israel, but it's just a very honest and accurate account of Jethro, a Midianite, coming and saying, Moses, can I help you here? God will be your, your help, but listen, you need to fix this. And Moses recognizes, to his credit, oh, that's good advice. <laughs> Maybe that would be better. And so Moses sets these people up to help him over sort of pods of people and then larger pods. And, you know, it's kind of a, a judicial system, right? Where you got small districts and then larger districts and counties and states and federal and you know i mean this is sort of what they're doing but how do you suppose moses went about interviewing people and choosing people well what we surmise is that he followed jethro's advice there too you notice what jethro says verse 21 again look for able men or capable men from all the people that's where he starts it makes sense right you look for qualified people, capable people from the whole nation here, right? But then he goes on to kind of define what capable 
looks like a little bit. Men who fear God. Or your translation may just say, God-fearing men. Men who fear God. Again, remember that scene that we read from a few pages later, and there are more like it, with this, this vision of God being in the cloud on the top of Mount Sinai. There's an even earlier passage where you know, we're told that the ground shakes and that there's this noise like a trumpet in the air that gets louder and louder and louder, you know. This almost, if I can be permitted to use the word, this almost oppressive, you know, where there's kind of no escaping it. Where they understood the power and the majesty and the magnificence of God. And here, Jethro points out, Moses, one of the things you ought to look for is people who fear God. The people who were perhaps at the bottom of that mountain when these things happened and said, oh, oh that's cool. Maybe I'll skip on up there and see what's going on. You know, Probably not the guys you're looking for. Right? In other words... Characteristic number one is someone who takes God seriously. Can we just sort of put it that way? Who takes God seriously. And, and this idea of fearing God is not one of... There are so many other cultures and so many other religions where the quote-unquote God that they worshipped was capricious. You never, you never knew what kind of mood he or she might be in on any given day, and you kind of walk around in eggshells. It's not that. But it is also certainly not a flippant attitude that says, woo, hey God, what's up, bro, you know? Right? Pick people who fear God. And interestingly, I think the things that he says next really feather right into that idea. They probably flow out of that idea. Because the next thing he says is who are trustworthy. But then he says, and hate a bribe, my translation says. Many of you have uh, hate dishonest gain. Right? Not, a, not a bad translation there, dishonest gain. But but maybe even more to the point here is just this idea of bribes. We understand what that is. Because think about this. What is Moses looking for? He's looking for people. He's looking for men from within the, the people here that can exercise justice. Actual justice that isn't hindered by or tainted by something like, well, maybe if you give me a little money, I'll decide in your favor, right? That's how justice doesn't get done. See, as soon as someone is in a position where they think, you know, I could make a little extra in this position. Dishonest gain, yeah. And then justice isn't being done. 
And then God's will isn't being done. And then the people won't go back to their tents in peace. They will understand and know that there is injustice in their midst. And here we're back to nobody being happy. And the reason, ultimately, that someone would decide that they are not in favor of dishonest gain, not in favor of taking bribes, but are indeed in favor of exercising true and righteous justice comes best from a person who who fears their God, who wouldn't dare take a dishonest gain, who wouldn't dare think of taking a bribe, because they know that ultimately they're not answerable to Moses, they're answerable to him. And they get that. And so they wouldn't dare, right? Don't you love that? That Jethro says, Moses, these are the guys you've got to find. And there's nothing really there about skills, per se. He doesn't say, make sure you find people who are good readers. That would make some sense, wouldn't it? There's a lot of debate over how prevalent reading was as a skill within their, their people. You know, it's, it's hard to know for sure. But it seems like that would be real helpful. Somebody who could read, you know, you could give them, you could transcribe the law then, and they could read it. That would be really helpful, wouldn't it? Or people who have really good people skills. Or who are good public speakers. Or someone who thinks quickly on their feet. None of that's there. The things that Jethro advises Moses, and and Moses follows this advice and and indeed does and and i'll just readily suggest to you that god has you know put jethro in this position to give moses this advice the things that he's looking for have far more to do with a character you see you understand that far more to do with a character not can you run this set of instructions do you know this computer system? Do you understand you know, how to run this tool? Or the, you know? It's very character-based. I was just this last week, and I may have mentioned to you that at one point, last week and this week, we're all sort of going to be one sermon, and then I thought better of that. But again, God is so great, and it's just present in all the details. And, and so... Last week, just three days ago, I was talking with a friend, and he was relaying to me a conversation he had had with another friend of his, somebody I don't even know, so I I can't possibly give correct attribution here. But he said they were having this talk about what is really valued in our society, and that a really big thing right now is leadership. We really value leadership. Leadership, leadership, leader. We love strong leaders. And you can read books about leadership. And you can take trainings about leadership. You can go to conferences about leadership. You can get degrees. You can get a master's degree in leadership and and probably a doctorate. And what this person said to this friend of mine was, it's too bad we don't train character. You know, we never talk about character. 
Wouldn't it be something if you could go to a university and get a master's degree in integrity? Wouldn't that be fantastic? (laughs) Or get your doctorate in honesty? Huh? We kind of don't talk about that much. We want leaders, we want strong leaders, and we want to become leaders. And what's interesting about this is we don't see Moses choosing men based on leadership skills necessarily. We see Moses choosing men based on their character. Based on the fact that they fear God. That they can be trusted. That they won't accept dishonest gain, bribes, and put their thumb on the scale of justice. That that's what he's looking for. And as I think about that, and I unpack all of that, this is where I'm going I'm to take you, I'm going to stretch this just a little bit. Because we're not told explicitly in the Bible that Joshua was one of these people. But here's where I'm going to extrapolate a little and just ask you with me to suppose that if this is what Moses did to choose all of these men who are going to help him judge the people, does it not seem at least reasonable that he would have used a similar metric to choose his personal aid? Doesn't it? I mean, I'm not crazy, am I? And here's where I say, I I want to be cautious. I don't want to go beyond what Scripture says because it doesn't say, and, and God used the same rubric to choose Joshua. Moses, rather. I'm sorry. However, here it is. I I love this, that Moses takes this advice and sets up all of these people. But then somewhere in that intervening period of time, Joshua becomes Moses' personal aid. And when Moses goes up to the mountain... Joshua goes farther than anyone. It still seems to indicate that only Moses goes all the way to the top and spends the 40 days and 40 nights, doesn't it? Nonetheless, Joshua comes with him further than anyone. And I think that tells us something about Joshua's character. Maybe not his skill set, but his character. Was Joshua naturally a gifted leader? I have no idea. But was Joshua a man of a certain character? I think so. I think he was. And it reminds me of so many other things in God's Word. The other thing I thought of immediately is sometime later in Israel's history, when the prophet Samuel was going to choose the next king after King Saul was such a disappointment and a failure. You know this story, many of you. He goes to choose the king. God tells him to go to Jesse's house. And he starts looking at all of Jesse's sons. He's like, oh, that's a strapping young lad. That is perfect king material. And God says, no, that's not him. Okay, fine. He goes to the next one. Ooh, this guy's good too. I mean, a good kingly... God says, no, that's not him. All the way through all the sons. Until they get to this David kid. Remember? 
where Samuel says, do you, you have any other sons? Jesse says, well, I mean, there's David, and he's out with the sheep, you know. Go get him. <laughs> Brings him here, and God says, that's the one. But do you remember what God tells Samuel? You're looking on a man's outward appearances. I'm looking at his heart. Remember what was said of David? that He was a man after God's own heart. That David had a character that was like unto his God. It reminds me of the passage that Lori just read a bit ago as our scripture reading. In Galatians, you can turn back there if you want to. Galatians chapter 5. It's a passage we know well. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's like God is mindful of character. Now, we all have a variety of gifts and abilities it's all true. It's, it's all good. It's all helpful at, at various times, right? But when you really take a good hard look at what God prizes, at what God values, even in you and I, I mean, we've seen it in some of these Old Testament characters, but I think you get to Galatians and even with regard to you and I, the things that are of value to your God don't tend to be your skill set. They don't tend to be how hard a worker you are, how skilled you are, how, how good you are at a given task. They have everything to do with character. You see that? That what qualifies one for the job of being a good follower of God, a good minister for God, is character. The rest of the stuff, God can develop in you. The rest of the stuff, and, and maybe He already gave you the other necessary gifts that you need for that. But here's the thing that is really close to the heart of God. It's these character traits. There's nothing there about strong leader, or hard worker, or first in and last out of the office, or I mean, whatever it is. It's a person of a certain character. You want to be qualified for God's work? You ought to be thinking about your character. How often do you consider your character? How often? Versus how often we're chasing things like i want to be a leader i want to be i want to have strong leadership skills and and read books about leadership you know how often do you just consider your character for that matter how often do you consider other people's character and i want to be cautious here what i do not mean is that we all sit and cast stones at each other for each other's character flaws you know we're interested in picking out no but do the people you look up to, are they people of strong character? 
Do they exhibit things like trustworthiness and God-fearingness and a refusal to participate in any sort of dishonest gain? Are they people who exhibit love and joy and peace? Or are they people of a different sort of flavor? See, I think this is important for us to talk about what it looks like to be people of character, what it looks like to value character in other people, to want to surround ourselves with people that have a godly character, not an ungodly character. That's important. And some of these other things also are. I think as we continue to study Joshua, we're going to see that Joshua indeed is a good leader. He is good at it. But I think why he gets singled out here very early on isn't because of that. I don't think Moses said, boy, Joshua, you seem like you could be ripe for, for leadership development, you know. You did a great job in that battle against the Amalekites. Let's just be reminded, who did the great job in the battle against the Amalekites? God did, Right? And we talked about that last week. I'm certain that there were moments when Joshua and everybody on the battlefield had to think, I'm fighting way beyond my abilities right now. This, there's something going on. Yeah, God was going on. Nonetheless, Joshua at a certain point, I believe, gets chosen to be the personal aid of Moses, the leader of the people of Israel, because of a character that he had. Was he a good leader? Yeah. But I think even more important than that, because if Moses chose someone who was a great leader, but also didn't fear God and wasn't particularly trustworthy and kind of liked to bribe every now and then, this whole thing goes south really quickly, see. What was important was Joshua's character. And I think what's important for you and I is our character and the character of the people we surround ourselves with, the character of the people that we look up to and, and admire. That's important. Character matters. It matters to your God, and it ought to matter to you. So as we leave this week, I want you to consider simply how often you think about character. How often do you dwell on it? How often do you consider what your personal character looks like? What the character of people around you look like? What the character of people admire, you admire looks like? Because character matters to our God. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our church. We thank you for this family of believers. God, it's such a, a beautiful privilege to gather together. We thank you for the technology that allows uh, even those who maybe can't be with us in person to still be with us online. And God, we thank you for maybe stepping on our toes a little this morning. 
Sometimes in our own lives, we chase the wrong things or we misprioritize the wrong things. God, it's good to see that what you value is character. I'm so thankful that Moses got this advice, not simply to choose men, but to choose good men who feared you, who could be trusted with exercising justice in their, in their community, who weren't interested in bribes and any sort of dishonest gain. That's good advice. And God, throughout, we see time and time again that you look at the heart. Love that example of, of David, too. That we often look on the outside and we look at a, a, either physical characteristics or something that's a little more overt. But that you are more interested in our heart, our character. And this is good for us, too. And we see that that entire list of the fruit of the Spirit, what it looks like when somebody is really just walking in step with the Holy Spirit, they're all character traits. They're all things that happen in our heart. So God, help us to pay the sort of attention to this that you do. That we would be mindful of this. And if we need convicting If we need some repentance even today, we pray that you would stir that up in our hearts. That we would value character in us, in other people, the way that you do. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.